It is no secret that the travel industry has undergone some major changes in the past few years. And even though it is back and booming, so much of why and how we travel has changed. Welcome to Travel Redefined. I'm Sarah Dandeshi and I'm your host, and I'm excited to talk to thought leaders in the hospitality and travel space for insight on the future of travel. Welcome back to another episode of Travel Redefined, where we're speaking to individuals and different elements and aspects of the travel and hospitality space. And today's guest, I'm very excited for this conversation. Not only am I excited for today's conversation because of who he is and his just his energy and how infectious he is in a positive way, infectious, but it's also what he does within the hospitality space which is so relevant right now. So as we all know that there's a staffing sort of crisis, but I'm not even going to get into that. Let's go ahead and get into our actual guest. So today's guest is Josh Rubenstein, who is the founder and managing director of JPR Human Capital. He is going to be sharing with us all sorts of insight on what his company does, as well as diving into a bit of what we're seeing in the industry and maybe how we can manage and move forward to better ourselves. So with that being said, Josh. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. This thank you. No, listen, thank you. What a pleasure. This is incredible. This is really cool. So I'm very excited to have you on Travel Redefined. Just based on what you do, you have a very unique perspective that I know a lot of individuals are going to be dying to get information from you. So, but why don't we go ahead and just kick things off to bring everybody up to speed. I'd love to hear a bit just of your background. So how did you get into your role within hospitality? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks again for having me, really. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I've been in hospitality since I was 16 years old. Quite frankly, my whole first career was in operations, running restaurants in San Francisco, in New York City, in, in my, you know, really dedicated my whole first, first part of my professional career to it. At a point Early on in my career, I was running restaurants at the you know one and two stars Michelin level, the James Beard Award winning level. And I think right around the time I was 30 years old, I realized I was never you know, going to compete with Danny Myers for the best restaurateur in the world award. So I figured I would try something new, right? Mm -hmm. The problem was that I had never done anything outside of the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know how to write a resume. I didn't know how to interview for a job. I just was running restaurants. That's what I did. I got a job recruiting for pre-IPO software sales, and I knew nothing about software. The only thing I knew about software is that one, I knew nothing about it. And two, I thought it was something that, you know, put on after a shower. That's what I thought software was. Ultimately realized I could put two things together that I was really passionate about hospitality mainly and recruiting, right? Being a part of someone's journey to better their life, better their situation, maybe have a relocation, whatever it was, I figured out that I could do both. I joined Corn Ferry. I ran as a managing consultant, essentially ran search and teams for all of North America for the travel, hospitality, and leisure sector. Ultimately left there to go join a boutique firm, white glove, high touch, real, the monster, the giant in the space, even though we were a boutique firm. And then I lost my job. I got laid off during COVID like so many people out there. Yeah. And I felt sorry for myself for about nine minutes. And then <laughs> I founded my company early days in the pandemic, just 
felt like we could do something different, quite frankly. We yeah. could make it about something different. And that's where it started. And that's where it all kind of jumped off. That's amazing. And I love that you share that story because again, so many of us can look back on that time and, you know, we're faced with, okay, wow, things were going in one direction and I either lost my job or got furloughed or had a moment to like think and rethink about what direction we were going in. So we were all having these moments. So I love that you shared with your journey because this also just ties into also what you do now. So let's talk about JPR Human Capital. For you and your company, and I love this, but it's all about relationships first. Yeah. So, but you've also had years, you know, some years of experience in this sort of executive placement. Has this always been your approach or is this something that unique to what you're doing in your particular company? Now, it's interesting. Has it always been my approach? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Has it always been the company I was working with? Perhaps not. For us, it's all about relationships. We are not about transactions. We are about relationships and curating bonds that are meaningful and that are deep and that have real ties. I remember I was working for a company and I started doing this thing called coffee chats, right? First thing in the morning, I'd have a cup of coffee with somebody over Zoom and I wasn't pitching work. I wasn't trying to win business. I was literally having a cup of coffee with them first thing in the morning and just getting to know them, having a relationship with them. And I got smashed for it. You're wasting your time. You're not developing business. You're not making money. You're, it's a total waste of time. For certain, all of those people that I had those coffee conversations with, those are now my clients. Those are the people that I've been placing over the years that I that keep coming back to me. And it's because I call them every couple of weeks to say, hi, how's your kid doing? How's your wife doing? How's your husband? You had a dentist appointment last week. How'd it go? It doesn't matter because it's about the relationship. And for us, that's how we operate. I would much rather know you for years before doing any work with you and actually get to know you so that when the time comes that potentially we can work together, I know what aligns with your values and what motivates you and what inspires you. And then we can be part of each other's journey. What's so interesting is that, you know, I mean, to me, it seems like a no brainer because that is what the hospitality industry is. It's all about relationships. But again, you know, there is also in any industry, it comes down to business and people want to do business. And then they sometimes like forget the relationship aspect, but it's like relationships are so important to every business. Yeah. You're spot on about that. I, I had a, I have a mentor in my life. He was my first boss when I joined Corn Ferry, a guy named Scott Burkhead. And when I was interviewing with him, he said, so how do you get paid? He asked me how I got paid. So I go into this whole spiel about, well, there's a contingent where there's retained and commissions. And he basically stopped me and he said, no, 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 no. Recruiters don't get paid that way. Recruiters get paid in trust. That's how we get paid. We get paid in trust and it never left me. And it's brilliant. It's so intuitive because if there's trust there, if I'm getting paid in trust and I'm paying back in trust money, the financial reward will come eventually. But it all comes down to, you, like you said, relationships first, hospitality first, and trust that comes with it. I love that. Yeah. It was a big lesson. So important. The trust is 
I mean, again, it's, it's certainly important to what you do, but I mean, to so many aspects of the industry. So let's talk about the industry as a whole, you know, just you're in a really unique position. And I know a lot of those that are listening are going to probably want to know your insights. So we've seen, certainly the industry has seen a lot of challenges these days and staffing is a huge issue. So you're on the front lines of it. You're seeing the ins and outs. You're getting that direct feedback. What are you seeing and what is working in attracting talent? Yeah, right. It's the million dollar question. You know, it doesn't matter really what level you're talking about, right? C-suite down to line staff, it, it doesn't matter. I think what we're seeing is companies that have a, a North Star, right? Companies that have an, a real point of view, not sexy, flashy phrases of the day that look really great on Insta or whatever it is. Companies that have a North Star, that have they, they have mission, they have values, they have a point of view, those are the companies that are retaining talent. Because if you spend the time and the energy and you put in the work, the hard to bring in world-class talent, and again, doesn't matter the level, but if you spend the time and the energy to do that and you have a North Star, you have this core value that, that keeps you aligned and keeps your, your people you know, motivated and inspired, that's going to retain the talent that you've worked so hard to get. Yeah. Because let's be honest, they're, the candidates are not stupid and they're not blind and they have options. Yeah. And the industry today is very different than it was a couple of years ago. So if you're just laying down phrases because it, it sounds great and it's the phrase of the day, they're going to see right through it. They're going to sniff it out immediately. And they'll know if you mean what you're saying. And if you're authentic and they are, and they gravitate towards that and you have a way to keep them inspired and motivated through those core values, you're going to keep them around for a long time. I also think that companies who have a, a, a special, a real authentic candidate journey, a candidate process that gets around really quick. Right. If John or Sally or whomever had a really excellent candidate journey while joining their company, well, that's going to get around. And all of a sudden their friends are going to say, well, Sally had this amazing experience over at XYZ company. That's a badass company. I want to work there. Right. I had a terrible journey over here. I got thrown around and it lasted four months and I still don't really know who I report to. Yeah. Right. It's if you put in the time and the effort to make people feel at home from Jump Street and then kind of do the things I just laid out, those are, that's what's working for companies right now. Well, and it's interesting that you bring that up because that is a huge part of it. I mean, I like to say is like one of the best ways to attract talent is doing a good job for the individuals that you already have. And it's word of mouth. Yeah. Because again, as you said, it's like if you've got current employees who are happy there, who feel motivated to be there, who feel like they have self-worth, they're going to tell their family member, their friend, et cetera. And then that's a great way to, to help bring in, you know, hopefully, you know, value, valuable individuals. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's like the original, you know, like guerrilla marketing, right? Yeah. Word of mouth, you know, they, they all go to the same restaurants and bars or, you know, events or what have you. It, it, you're hundred percent right. They want to tell you how great it is 
they also want to tell you if it's a struggle. Yeah, of course. And I actually say this a lot to individuals because I get it. People are so focused on maybe bringing in, it's like, focus on what you have in, in hand, focus who you have in your group, on your team, et cetera, and the others will come. And obviously you have to be strategic as well too. So have there been any key takeaways that you've done differently in maybe the past two years? I mean, obviously the big focus is on relationships, but like when you're really trying to figure out how to place somebody, what are you looking at? I think from the client side, it's about really understanding, you know, the strengths of the team that's already in place, right? Who do they have? If they were bringing somebody up from, you know, outside of the business, where do their strengths play against the strengths that are already in there? I have a saying that, that I think is quite relevant to anybody out there. And this is where we start with all of our clients, especially when we're doing things like bench strength analysis and succession planning, even when you're doing ad hoc single placements, it always starts with the same question, right? Does your talent match your story? And that's a great kickoff spot. Because if your story is going, you know, this way and your talent is perhaps going a little bit pear-shaped or askew, then there's a lack of alignment there. If your talent matches your story and everyone's kind of moving in the same direction, even though, you know, nothing's perfect. If your talent doesn't match your story, then you need to really have a hard look at why, you know, what can be done better, what can be done differently. Where are the strengths? Where are the opportunities? What does the bench look like? What does the next generation look like? But it all starts with your story and where you are on your journey. And you know, I, it's interesting, you, you need to go backwards and I apologize. You had asked the question about retaining talent, but I think, or excuse me, about attracting talent, but I think the retention deserves some time as well because that's a major thing that all of our clients are really talking about is, okay, we can get people in the door, but how do we keep them, you know, around, especially at that executive level when, you know, look, I'd like to be the only recruiter in the world, but I know I'm not. And I know people are getting recruited all the time. So there, there are some companies are doing it really well to keep their, you know, leaders retained. And I've been thinking about, it, and I think it comes down to a couple of things. And I think you have to get leaders out of their comfort zone. I think once they get onboarded and once they start humming along, you have to push them to get out of their comfort zone, to get a little uncomfortable, quite frankly, with mentorship, with guidance, with direction and all of that. You have to force them to think critically, to think strategically, to practice that muscle, between, you know, pivoting between strategy and execution, follow up and accountability. If you can get them out of their comfort zone, you know, respectfully and in an organized manner, that's going to keep them motivated and keep them, you know, inspired to do great work. I think you have to show them the next logical step in their career. You know, in our, in my parents' day, maybe they had four or five titles across two or three or four companies total in their entire career. The average Gen Zer right now is going to have 26 job titles in their career. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So to show them the next logical step and then push them out of their comfort zone and drive them to be better, that's going to keep them around too. And then overwhelmingly what the next generation and the current generation of leaders is looking for is access to leadership. They want to have a seat at the table. They want to be part of the discussion. They want to be included in the larger projects. 
in the strategic initiatives and then be able to go execute with their teams. So I think those three things are the way to, you know, have a better chance of, of retention at the leadership level. No, that's awesome. And I'm so glad that you came back and you brought that in because those are such great points. And I'm still kind of blown away by that statistic uh, as far as like the different titles. And it makes sense. Again, it absolutely makes sense. But I mean, that really puts it into perspective when you understand like just the sheer average numbers of roles and titles that individuals yeah, are. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. It's just, it's a sign of the times. You know, I I don't think it's people being, you know, a lack of discipline. I don't think it's a lack of focus. I think that there is more option Mm -hmm. and companies are becoming more creative and there's more incentive and there's more inspiration. Again, I don't think it's a negative thing. I'm not saying it pejoratively. I'm just saying it's a fact. And the companies that can counterbalance that with internal inspiration and motivation and drive, that's where they're winning. Yeah. So fascinating. Okay. So let's like talk even about like hotel or hospitality trends. Obviously Mm. the last couple of years have forced us all to think differently. I mean, that's even how your company was born from all of this, but have you noticed any maybe like interesting hotel or hospitality trends that have emerged in the last two years? Maybe it is in terms of like people adjusting their company culture. What have you kind of seen? Oh gosh. I think companies, and I'm looking at this through the executive search lens. Perfect. I think that companies are really looking for what I call athletes, right? It used to be, you would come in, you would do your role, you were in your silo and you could, you do a great job and great. You move up to the next level or what have you. I think in today's world, there's much more of those Olympic rings being built. And people's roles are, are overlapping and it's not so binary. It's not so black and white. There's a lot of gray area there. I think that companies are looking for executives, line staff. Again, it doesn't really matter where they can, you know, be additive outside of their job title, right? Perfect example. We recently placed a COO, but this person needed to be heavily financial indexing They needed to be able to do more than what their title, chief operating officer, is. This gentleman, he happened to be chief operating officer with a degree in finance that came up through the sales and marketing vertical. So that's an athlete, right? That's someone who you can raise to be a team, you know, task force leader, a project manager, whatever it may be. Of course, he's a C-suite employee, so he's going to have his hands in a lot of cookie jars, Mm -hmm. but he has the ability to add value outside of just operations. Yeah. Work with the CFO to talk about new market entry and viability and, and he can, and the P and L and work with his, you know, property level leaders. He can also then pivot to talk to the sales and marketing people about the new market entry with the viability and all the different things and they bleed in together, but he has the ability to be seen and heard because mm-hmm. he's seen and heard. And that's an athlete. And I think that's a trend that we've noticed over the last couple of years, especially post COVID. Yeah. Cause let's face it. We're not where we were at that. As far as levels are concerned, we don't yeah. have the human capital levels that we had going into COVID. Mm-hmm. So people are being asked to stretch and then stretch some more. Mm-hmm. So if you have an athlete who naturally stretches or can you know blur the lines one way or the other, very, very attractive to our clients right now. Oh my gosh, of course. I mean, it's like the whole package. Trying to be, yeah. Yeah, or at least trying to be, exactly. 
Okay. So shifting gears a little bit, but understanding from your point of view, certainly with the clients that you end up, you know, working with your clients in the hospitality hotel space, but how, and maybe there is a way that this is connected or maybe it's not, and maybe it's just through your travels, but how do you see travel being redefined? Oh, wow. Great question. I'm going to be a slight contrarian here. Okay. I, I, I know this is very risky, very risky. I don't know that it's being redefined, Sarah. I think it's being reimagined. I think w- when you define hospitality, it still is how you take care of people, how you treat people, the type of wine you pour, the type of food you serve when someone comes to your house for dinner, the conversation. I think that's the same. And I think people really want to do that as well mm-hmm. as they ever have. Yeah. I think it's being reimagined as consumers. And I put myself right in this category as a travel consumer, you know, it might be my first or second experience post COVID getting out there and traveling and doing mm-hmm. something. Even if it's, you know, we live in Denver, Colorado, even if it's us just going to the mountains yeah. and getting a house in the mountains or, or whatever it may be, that's an experience that almost kind of feels new again. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just a little, a little drive, you know, down the road basically. Right. Yeah. So I think brands can't just build a gorgeous hotel anymore. They can't just build an amazing restaurant anymore. I think the brands that are reimagining the way they meet their guests, where they are, are the ones that are going to retain those guests long term. The companies that are stuck in this, you know, this is how we've always done it mentality. I think that they're going to have trouble long term retaining their guests and retaining their loyal guests because the way they always did it is not where we are today as consumers, right? If a brand is able to understand and tap into their demographic, their core guests and where they are today and then meet them there and then exceed their expectations, those are the guests that have really reimagined hospitality as opposed to redefined it. And the way that they interact with their guests, it's very different. It's very different. It's through, whether it be through tech or text or Mm -hmm. AI or whatever it may be, it's different and it's being reimagined. I don't think it's being redefined, quite frankly. I love that and really well put. So, which again, kind of leads to the next question. And I love kind of asking these because you'll have a different perspective on this. Five-star service. I mean, I know that you're placing individuals into like a lot of C-suite positions, but especially in the hospitality space, this notion of service, there is a trickle down effect. Sure. So what does five-star service mean to you? Yeah. I love this question. I love this question because no matter what level that we're placing and we place, yes, we place board of directors, we place C-suite, we place director level, VP level. We don't place property level, but I think that this question is about the trickle of trickle down effect you mentioned, because it really does trickle down and Mm -hmm. it's across all levels and all functions. I have a saying, and it's even on my website. I believe wholeheartedly that anything can be raised to an art form. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's, if it's 
hospitality, restaurant service. I don't care if it's the mail person or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You see the great commercials of the UPS driver, you know, dancing and singing and having some style to when they drop off the package. Anything can be raised to an art form. Okay. Mm-hmm. So to me, five star service is taking what you do, your day to day, your high level strategy, your line level service, sommelier, whatever it is, making it your own and then raising it up just another level. And here's a perfect example. If I'm in a restaurant and I ask for a fork and the server goes and gets me a fork and brings me a fork. Yeah. I have my fork. Sweet. I asked for a fork. I got a fork. That's amazing. The same server could take that fork, could take a serviette, could fold one edge, could slide it in, could put it on a brass tray, could bring it to me, could put it on my right side at four o'clock, whatever it may be. I got my fork. I still have the same fork, but it's been raised to an art form. For me, five-star service has less to do with the ADR, the price of the menu, the price of the bottle of wine, the environment that you're in. It's the difference between having people over for dinner and having people over for dinner where you print the menu and you type out the wine pairings. They're eating the same food, they're drinking the same wine. It's just been raised to an art form. That's what I think five-star service is. It's an experience. That's what it is. That's what it is. Knowing what you do and doing it so well that you figured out ways to do it just slightly better. I love that. Love that. Oh, I have chills. And that's such a, <laughs> I love that example too, um, which is just, I mean, it really kind of, it ties it together and it makes it far more tangible, which is so great. Wow. Oh my gosh. This conversation has gone by, like flown by. We've just like died. We were able to dive into so much. I want to be mindful of time here. So kind of like to wrap things up, what's next for your company? What should we be on the lookout for those that are tuning in that maybe want to find out more? Where can they find out and what should they look out for? Sure. Thank you for that. It, look, it's exciting right now. I, I've never, ever been more inspired by the hospitality industry. W- what we've been through, um, what everybody in this industry has been through, of, of course, in every industry, but of course, I think of things through the hospitality lens and what we're doing now to fight like hell against all odds to get out of this pandemic and to get into whatever is next. It's really exciting. We are working with just passionate and wonderful entrepreneurs and hoteliers and restaurateurs, you know, from ramp up to large to mid scale, whatever it may be, we're working with really inspired hospitality companies. I think that what's next for us is look, we're going to continue to grow the business. We're going to continue to grow the team. We will continue to work with lifestyle elevated creative, guest experience-driven, alternative lodging. That's our dojo, right? That's where that's what gets us out of bed. That's what keeps us motivated to, to work hard, to match the level of creativity and inspiration that our clients have. We just want to match a fraction of that. And if we can, then I think we're going to be in a good spot. Hopefully, um, we get to work with passionate hospitality nerds. That's what we want to do. We want to work with hospitality nerds and do good things for an industry that's given us so much. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. And it's, I mean, it is definitely a very unique industry for those of us that are in it and have done it. It's crazy. It's wild, but it's also so rewarding in so many ways. So, um, and you only get it if you've worked in it. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> you have to be slightly, slightly uh, masochistic to really dive in. That's for exactly. sure. But exactly. But it's a, it's, it's a beautiful industry. Look, we get to take our work seriously yeah. without taking ourselves seriously. Yes. And, and that's the key to life. That's, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Really is. Yeah. It's an industry that's given us so much and we just want to give back. So I love that. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. This was amazing. Thank it's you. My Josh. pleasure. Thank you for having this platform, for giving us a voice <laughs> and you're an incredible leader in the space. And thank you for everything that you do. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you again. So for everyone that's tuned in, I'm definitely going to make sure that we'll have all the notes here for Josh. You should absolutely connect with him on LinkedIn, find out more about his company. We'll have all the details in the show notes and hopefully you feel a little bit more inspired. I know I certainly do after this conversation. So thank you thank again, you. Josh. Thank this you, has been wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Thank you for tuning in to Travel Redefined. Hopefully you've taken away something from this week's guests and that you too are excited to see how travel is evolving. Don't forget to leave a review if you enjoyed today's episode and subscribe so that you won't miss out on the amazing conversations to come. And until next time, keep on traveling. <laughs>